you have your Bible with you, please take it out and go over into your New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be together as the people of God in this place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you might as well get very comfortable with the book of 1 Corinthians because we're going to be in that book primarily on this, on this day. And I want to start this lesson by reading to you, uh, beginning with verse number 28, please. In 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse number 28, the Apostle Paul says this, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly, for this reason, for this reason, Many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. What have we, what have we been doing this morning? What have we been doing for the last 10 or 15 minutes? Well, you and I both know what we've been doing for the last 10 or, or 15 minutes. You and I both know that for the last 10 or 15 minutes, we've been worshiping God. We have sung a, a song of praise to God. We have bowed our heads and said a prayer to God. We have given some of our money back to God, and now we got our Bibles open, and we're going to engage in a study from the Word of God. Those are the kinds of things that we've been doing for the last 10 or 15 minutes. And let me just ask you, has any of that been hard? Has any of that been challenging and difficult? Well, not really. Not really. It's not really hard to open up a songbook and sing a song. It's not really hard to close our eyes and say a prayer. It's not hard to put some money in a collection plate. It's not even hard to open up a Bible and listen to a man preach from the word of God. None of that stuff is... It's very hard for us to do, but let me tell you something. In about an hour and a half, that's going to change. In about an hour and a half, we're going to do something that's very challenging. We're going to do something that we do every first day of the week. We do it every Sunday. In about an hour and a half, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Let me tell you something. Pleasing God. And the partaking of the Lord's Supper is hard. It is difficult. It is extremely difficult. It is extremely difficult, not because taking the Lord's Supper is the most important part of our worship. Now, I know we hear people say that. I know a lot of people believe that. But the truth is the Bible never says that. The Bible never says the Lord's Supper it's the most important part of our worship. Instead, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that all of our worship is important. The Bible says that all of our worship is equally important. All of our worship must be done in spirit and in truth. None of it must ever be viewed as insignificant. None of it must ever be viewed as unnecessary. None of it must ever be viewed as something that we can slack off in because other parts of worship are more important than the other. No, sir, sir and no, ma'am. The Bible doesn't say that. 
The Lord's Supper is extremely tough and it's extremely difficult, not because it's the most important part of our worship, but because it requires some serious concentration. It requires some serious reflection and some undivided attention. You see, if we don't give the Lord's Supper our concentration and reflection and attention that God requires, then we're going to be impacted. We're going to be impacted spiritually. We're going to be impacted spiritually, not just today, but every single day. Paul makes that point in these verses we just read. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice how in the verses we just read, Paul told the Corinthians that because they were not doing the Lord's Supper properly, because they were not reflecting on the kinds of things that God wanted them to reflect on, because they were not properly examining the Lord's body, what the Lord had done for them, because they were not judging the body rightly, Paul says they were sick. They were spiritually sick. They were spiritually sleep. They, in some cases, they were spiritually dead. That's how serious properly partaking of the Lord's Supper is to God. And I'm thankful this morning that I'm in the presence of a bunch of people who really understand that. I'm thankful this morning that I'm in the presence of a bunch of people who beyond understanding that we are to partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, you also understand how serious this act of worship is to God. In fact, some of you understand the seriousness of the Lord's Supper so much that you ask questions about it. You submit questions about it. You submit questions to me about it. A few weeks ago, in our question box in the lobby, I received a question from someone about the Lord's Supper. Somebody has some questions about the Lord's Supper. Somebody wanted to know, what should be our mindset when we eat the Lord's Supper? What should we be thinking about? How should we properly prepare ourselves and properly partake of this supper so that we can avoid being like the Corinthians, so that we can avoid being spiritually weak and sick and asleep and even spiritually dead? That was essentially the question that someone submitted. And I think that's a great question, don't you? I think that's a great question. I think that's a wonderful question. I mean, since... Doing the Lord's Supper in the wrong way has attached with it some serious spiritual consequences beyond the wonderful talks that our brothers give before we take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Also think it is important that we spend some, some entire sermons from time to time talking about this topic. I also think it is important from the pulpit from time to time, we rehearse. We rehearse what the Lord's Supper is really all about so that, we can make, so that we can make sure we don't drop the ball. So that we can make sure we don't blow it. So that we can make sure we don't fail God when it comes to taking the Lord's Supper like the Corinthians did. And so this morning, that's what we want to talk about. This morning, I want to talk with you about the Lord's Supper. I want to talk with you about the Lord's Supper this morning. Particularly, I want to talk with you about your mind during the Lord's Supper. 
I want to talk with you about my mind during the Lord's Supper. I want to help us all make sure that today when we take the Lord's Supper, we engage in this very difficult and challenging part of our worship properly. This morning, we want to know what should be on our minds when we take the Lord's Supper. Well, the first thing that should be on our mind and the most important thing that should be on our mind is the Lord. It should be the Lord. We need to understand that there is a reason why this supper is called the Lord's Supper. There's a reason why it's not called Sean Supper or Mitch and Veronica's Supper or Dale and Pam's Supper or Dave and, and, and Beth's Supper or Rick and Peggy's Supper. The reason why this supper, the reason why this supper is not referred to as belonging to any of us is because it doesn't belong to any of us. It's not about any of us. It's not about any person in this room and said this supper, this supper is about the Lord. This supper is about Jesus. This supper is a memorial of Jesus. It is a memorial that remembers not his birth. Like so many people are thinking about this time of the year. Instead, it remembers his death at Calvary. It remembers his death on the cross. So that we can have an opportunity to go to heaven. And so when you go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 26, these are verses that we commonly read when we take the Lord's Supper, before we partake of the Lord's Supper. But look at them with me again, please. In Matthew chapter 26, in Matthew 26, and in verse number 26, Matthew 26 and verse 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after blessing him, he broke it and, say, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, let's just stop right there for just a moment. Notice how when the Lord first instituted this supper, and that's what we're reading about here. We're reading about when the Lord, Jesus Christ, first instituted the Lord's Supper. When the Lord first instituted his supper, notice it says he did it while they were eating. Question, while they were eating what? Well, while they were eating what? We'll go back to verse 17. Verse 17 says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Oh, there's the answer to our question. Notice how Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night in which he and the disciples in Israel were eating the Passover. Do you remember what the Passover was? Remember the Passover was a meal that memorialized the night when God delivered the Israelites from hundreds of years of Egyptian slavery. Remember every time the Israelites ate the Passover. They were to remember the night when God's destroyer passed over them and did not kill their firstborns. On the night when the disciples were thinking about that, on the night when they were already thinking about deliverance from slavery and deliverance from bondage, Jesus chose to institute a new meal that would memorialize an even greater deliverance from bondage an even greater rescue from slavery. In Matthew 26 and verse number 26, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and said, 
He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. This is my body that was given for you. This is my body that was abused for you. This is my body that was spit on and beaten and mocked and ridiculed and had a crown of thorns beaten in my head. This is my body, the bread, the unleavened bread that we eat. It represents the body, the physical body of Jesus Christ. And then in verse number 27, it says when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Notice how while the bread that we eat today, the bread we eat first every first day of the week represents the body of Christ, the cup, the fruit of the vine. The juice that we drink, it signifies two things. First, Jesus says it signifies the blood of the covenant. The blood of the covenant, just like when Israel left out of the of the bondage of Egypt to become the covenant people of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, we as Christians are able to leave out of the bondage of sin and become the covenant people of God. We're able to become the new covenant people of God, Christians, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The juice, the fruit of the vine, signifies the blood of the covenant we have with God. It is a sign of the covenant we have with God as Christians. But secondly, the blood or the juice also represents the blood of Jesus that gives us access to forgiveness of sins. It signifies how we're able to be cleansed of sins, redeemed from our sins, have our sins washed away. That's what John the baptizer was talking about in John chapter one and verse number 29, when he looked at Jesus and said, behold, the lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what Paul also was making reference to. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, when Paul says in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's what Peter also had in mind in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, when Peter says to the people of God, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. My friends, living in the world like we're living in today, living in a world that fills our minds up with all kinds of different things, living in a world that fills our minds up with work and school and sickness and family and hobbies and sports and politics and social media and, and this and that and everything under the sun, living in a world where our mind is going so many different directions every single day, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper to help us on the first day of the week Remember verses like this. He instituted the Lord's Supper to help us as his covenant people on the first day of the week. Remember what matters most in life 
And that's his sacrifice. That is his death on the cross and by extension, his burial and his resurrection. You see, during the Lord's Supper, while we partake of it together, while we sit there in that pew, you know what we're supposed to be thinking about? We're supposed to be thinking about Jesus. We're supposed to be focusing on Jesus. We're supposed to be focusing on everything Jesus did to save us from our sins. We should be thinking about the great love that he has for us. We should be thinking about how he gave his body for us and how he shed his blood for us and how through both of those things we're able to receive forgiveness for our sins and we can become the covenant people of God. That's what should be going through our minds while we take the Lord's Supper. Paul deals with this more. Go back to 1 Corinthians again, please, chapter 11, because Paul, Paul has to remind the Corinthians of this stuff, okay? They were struggling with this, and they lived in the first century in the time when miracles were being done. They struggled with this. In 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 23, verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks of the cup, of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Notice how in addition to telling us the kind of stuff that should be going through our minds when we take the Lord's Supper, in those verses, Paul also talks about the consequences for us if we fail to do that. There are consequences if we fail to think about the right kinds of things when we take the Lord's Supper. Paul says here that if we take the Lord's Supper in verse 27 in an unworthy manner, he says if we take it in an unworthy manner, we shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Question, what does that mean? What does it mean for Sean Jeffries and you to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? Well, contrary to what a lot of folks suggest, when Paul talks about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, he's not talking about our spiritual condition before we take the Lord's Supper. He's not saying that if I'm currently living in sin right now, then when the Lord's Supper starts getting passed around, I need to, to let it pass right in front of me. He's not saying God is in heaven cheering me on when I'm in sin, when I let the Lord's Supper pass in front of me. He's not saying, well, if you're in sin and sitting in the pew, go ahead and add to your sins more by not taking the Lord's Supper. That's not what Paul is saying there. That's ridiculous. Paul is not talking about adding on to our sins by letting the Lord's Supper pass in front of us. Instead, if I'm in sin this morning, if I'm in sin, instead of take, letting the Lord's Supper pass in front of me, you know what I need to do? I need to repent. I need to repent right here and right now. I need to ask God to forgive me, and then I need to take the Lord's Supper. That's what I need to do. That's pleasing God. Paul's not talking about our spiritual condition before we take the Lord's Supper. None of us will ever be worthy enough to take that supper. Instead, what Paul is talking about, he's talking about mentality. 
He's talking about thinking. The word unworthy that Paul uses here is an adverb that refers to the manner of participation. He is saying that when I take the Lord's Supper and I don't have the right things in my mind, when I'm just going through the motions, when I'm just treating this like some, some checklist of spiritual things that I need to do, when I'm thinking about the ball game, when I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat after services, when I'm thinking about some argument that me and my spouse got into before services, when I take the Lord's Supper without thinking about the significance of Jesus and his death in my mind, then guess what? Paul says I'm guilty. I'm guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I am guilty of not properly examining what the Lord has done for me. And as a result of that, I have dishonored the Lord and I've brought judgment into my life. That's what Paul is saying there. And that's why taking the Lord's Supper is hard. It's difficult. It is something that when we partake of it, we got to be 100% locked in. We got to be concentrating. We got to be thinking about Jesus. We can't just mindlessly go through the motions. That's not going to work. What should be on my mind when I take the Lord's Supper? Well, first and foremost, I need to be thinking about Jesus and his sacrifice. But not only should that be on my mind, you know what else should be on my mind when I take the Lord's Supper today? Fellowship. I need to be thinking about some fellowship. Now, when I use the word fellowship this morning, please understand that I'm not using it in the same way that the vast majority of people in the religious world use the word incorrectly today. I'm not using it to refer to us getting together to eat pizza and fried chicken and coffee and donuts. I'm not using it to talk about recreation. I'm not using it to refer to us getting together after service today to hang out at a restaurant. No, sir, and no, ma'am. I'm not using the word fellowship to talk about those kinds of things. Instead, when I use the word fellowship, I'm using it in the same way the Bible uses it. I'm using it to talk about things that are spiritual. Communion. The word fellowship means communion. When it's used in the Bible, it's being used to talk about spiritual communion, spiritual sharing, and joint participation. Please go on your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just go back one chapter because Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 10 when talking about the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 10 in verse number 16, verse 16, Paul says, It's not the cup of blessing which we bless us sharing. There's your word fellowship in the blood of Christ. It's not the bread which we break a sharing. There's your word fellowship in the body of Christ. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. In verse number 21, Paul says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. What is Paul urging the, the Corinthians to do there? Well, there he's urging them to be united. He's urging them to be in communion. He's urging them to be in fellowship, to be in fellowship when they took the Lord's Supper. He describes the bread as the sharing or the fellowship of the body of Christ. And he describes the cup as the sharing 
or the fellowship of the blood of Christ. His point is, whenever we take the Lord's Supper in this place on the first day of the week, it's not just about us as individuals, but it's also about us as a body. We take the Lord's Supper as a body. We share in it as a body. We're in fellowship as a body. We remember the Lord and his sacrifice as a body. We are in fellowship together every time we take the Lord's Supper. In fact, beyond being in fellowship with each other, we're also in fellowship with Jesus. And Jesus makes this point in Matthew 26 and verse 29, when after instituting the Lord's Supper, he said to his disciples, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you new in my Father's kingdom. What is the Lord talking about there? Well, there the Lord is saying that every time his people, after this moment here, from then on, every time his people come together to eat the Lord's Supper, guess what? He's in our midst. He, he is among us. He is in fellowship with us. That's something we need to remember today and every time we take the Lord's Supper. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we need to be thinking about the fellowship that Jesus has with us and the fellowship we have with each other. We need to understand that despite the petty differences we may have in this room, despite the different races, despite the different economic statuses and educational levels and genders and political views and sports views and all that stuff, despite all those trivial differences, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're in fellowship. We are sharing. We are in joint participation with Jesus Christ and one in agreement in a core aspect of the gospel. When we take the Lord's Supper, we need to be thinking about the Lord. And we need to be thinking about how this is a time of fellowship, spiritual fellowship with the people of God. And then thirdly, we also need to be thinking about proclamation. Proclamation. In 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 26, notice again how Paul says, For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim. You proclaim what? You proclaim the Lord's death. When we take the Lord's Supper, when we eat the Lord's Supper today, we're going to be proclaiming something. We're going to be proclaiming the Lord's death. What are we going to be proclaiming about the Lord's death? Well, we're going to be proclaiming that we believe in the Lord's death. We're going to be proclaiming that we believe in the benefits of the Lord's death. We're going to be proclaiming that we believe that sin is real and that through Jesus' death on the cross, every person has access to the forgiveness that comes from God. That's what we proclaim. Every time we take the Lord's Supper and God needs us to do that. God needs us to never be ashamed to do that in a world where atheism and agnosticism is on the rise. In a world where you have all these different kind of churches and all these different kind of religions popping up on the scene. In a world where you have so much gross immorality being promoted and you got hatred and racism and murder and so many gross sins before God. In a world where all that's going on. 
God needs us as his people every Sunday to announce loud and clear through the partaking of the Lord's Supper that we are different. We are different than the world. We are different than the unbelieving people in the world. Unlike the unbelieving people in the world, we believe in the love of God. We believe in the love of Jesus. We believe that Jesus exercises love for us at the highest level by dying on the cross. When we partake of the Lord's Supper today, let's make sure that we understand that we are proclaiming that we believe the gospel. We believe in the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we don't care if the world looks down on us because we do that. The Lord's Supper is a time where we proclaim the Lord's death. But then fourth and finally, when we take the Lord's Supper, you know what else we need to be thinking about? We need to be thinking about his return. The return of Jesus. Someone says, where is that? In the scripture, well, go back to verse 26. What does it say in verse 26? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until he comes. Until Jesus comes. In John 14, in verse 1, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse number 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And Acts chapter 1, the angels of God in Acts 1, as Jesus ascends to heaven. In Acts 1 and verse 9, it says, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Notice how the great promise of God yet to be fulfilled in the scriptures is the return of the king. It is the return of the master. It is the master and the king coming back one day from heaven to receive us so that we can go to heaven with him to be with God forever. The Bible promises and guarantees that this is going to happen over and over again. And until it does happen as God's people, guess what we're going to be doing? We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. We're going to be eating this memorial meal. We're going to do that because in addition to needing a constant reminder of what the Lord has done for us, in addition to proclaiming to the world that we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God wants us to also proclaim to the world that we believe in his ability to keep his promises. He wants us to also proclaim to the world that we believe in the return of his son and we are eagerly anticipating it. In fact, we hope it will happen while we take the Lord's Supper today. 
And so I appreciate the question. I appreciate the question that was submitted. I appreciate it because eating the Lord's Supper is not easy. Partaking of the Lord's Supper is not easy. It is difficult. It is hard. It requires our minds and our hearts being focused on the right kinds of things. But thank God that we have the privilege to partake of it as his people, right? Praise God that as a spiritual family, we can eat and partake of the Lord's Supper today. The question is, are you part of that spiritual family? Are you a Christian? If not, then we're going to give you an opportunity to obey the gospel this morning and receive the benefits of Jesus' death. If you believe that he's a son of God, if you're willing to repent of your sins and obey his commandment to be baptized or immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, you will become part of the family of God, and then you can be in fellowship with us today when we eat the Lord's Supper and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. If we can help anyone this morning, come to the Lord. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.